God is good. And um, I share in Paul's enthusiasm when he said, this gospel is being reported to be spreading all over the place. And that's what we're looking at this morning. As you turn to Hebrews chapter 8, I want to share around a subject called Better Promises. And um, I had my daughter from Cape Town come and spend a, a few days with us, looking after my beautiful, edible, little six-week-old... Ah, words can't describe. Anyway, uh, that's Nashenka. Some of you saw her with us. Um, she's the daughter of my, my late wife, who uh, is not biologically my daughter, but... I'm the only dad she knows. So we, we, she came and we spent some time together. And while she was here, she came to one or two of the meetings and afterwards said she kind of didn't really understand you know, what it was about. And, and she, you know, she's heard some cautions about you know, um, this uh, gospel of grace me- message that it's, it's, uh, someone came to her. And, and so she was a little bit concerned that... While she was here, she might be contaminated by the gospel. So, um, last day she was here, she came to me quite excitedly and she said, You know, I've been sitting and I've been listening and this and that, and I don't know what, what all the fuss is about. So I went back and I read up all the scriptures that you've been using, and I went through Romans, and I found something very amazing that everything you've been saying is in the Bible. So I thought, there's a thought. That's a new concept to work with. You know, we can be very easily swayed by people's opinions when they tell you what they saw in the Bible. But it's another thing when you have to go for yourself. Amen? And nothing has forced me into a deeper, more thorough search of the Scripture in this endeavor to preserve the integrity of the gospel of Jesus. And what I'm seeing is blowing me away. And those of you taking a journey with us, I trust it does the same for you. Hebrews chapter 8, looking at the better promises, says in verse 6, But the ministry Jesus received is superior to theirs of the old covenant, as the covenant of which he is a mediator. What was the covenant he mediated? Remember John 1 verse 17? The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Is founded on better promises. Say better promises. And then he goes on and he begins to list a whole lot of things. But let me just give you a little, a quick synopsis of the gospel, which is Genesis to Revelations. You remember that? Because in Galatians 3, it says that the gospel was announced in advance to Abraham. So whenever we want to study the subject of the gospel and the covenants, we have to do a systematic look through the scripture. And we see that in Genesis, key chapter 12, God makes covenant with Abraham that his offspring will be blessed and ultimately all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Say blessed. Blessed is a good thing, by the way. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, we know the twelve sons, go into, uh, uh, sell out their brother Joseph. Joseph ends up in Egypt and becomes salvation for the very brothers who sold him out. Isn't God amazing? That he can take even 
When people are ugly and horrible and silly and do stupid things, He can even use you to become a blessing to them down the road again. So don't worry if someone you feel stabbed in the back. Maybe you're going to become the person that's going to become a blessing to them one day. Because that's what Joseph did with his brothers. But the covenant made in, in Genesis 12 is carried through the book of Genesis. And then we find that Joseph is in Egypt with his brothers. After 400 years, another ruler has emerged, a pharaoh who knows nothing about Moses, and uh, at least knows nothing about Joseph and uh, their history. And the persecution breaks out. We, we, we were educated, some of us who went to children's church in all the uh, Egyptian slavery. God speaks to Moses and says, you to take the blood of a one-year-old lamb, put it on the doorpost and the lintels, and then we know how the curses came over Egypt, and the children of Israel, the Israelites were spared, not because they put the blood on in a certain manner, or because they fasted and prayed when they did it, or they stood on one leg and hopped, or it had nothing to do with how they put the blood on the doorpost. The blood was what God saw. He didn't see how it got there. He didn't see, well, that family fasted for three days before they put the blood on, and that family were just having a party before they put the blood on. It actually didn't, it had nothing to do with what they did or didn't do. It had to do with the blood. And when the blood was seen, we know God, how He delivered them out of Egypt. Pharaoh wouldn't repent, and eventually they leave with riches and gold and all the wonderful things that God had promised them. And off they go now. They are a blessed people. It says their clothes didn't get old, their shoes didn't run out, they had their needs met. Um, But we find they grumble a lot of the time. You know, read through the Old Testament, you see that over and over. You know, it says they were grumbling in Egypt, but I just think they were grumbling all the time. People think, oh, they had to be delivered out of Egypt because shame, it was so hard there. Well, it did get hard towards the end, but for 400 years they enjoyed prosperity and favor and blessing. It was only when they got so comfortable and, and took it for granted that a pharaoh emerged that didn't like them very much. And then they were grumbling. But they, they, they just had a nature of grumbling wherever they were. Because we see, we pick up the story in uh, Exodus, if you want to turn, the scriptures will come up. Uh, from, from verse 11, now they're standing at the Red Sea, the Egyptians' hearts have turned against them and they're following them. And it says in verse 11, and they said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have we done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people. Now you'd expect him to give them a clap, eh? And talk about fire and brimstone. And talk about if you one more grumble, okay? You know, you know that story with the guy who, 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 who was leaving the wedding on his wife on a donkey and the donkey stumbled and he said, last warning. And the donkey stumbled again, he took his gun and shot it. And his wife said, you can't do that, it's a donkey. And he said, last warning. You know that type of a, you know that story. That, that, okay. Okay. Uh, but, but his answer here is, but Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Wow. In spite of this, he's saying God is going to protect you. God is going to deliver you. God is going to get you through this. These oaks you see coming, you're never going to see again. And then they come... 
through the desert, three days, no water. They start murmuring, complaining. They find water, Merah. They taste it, it's bitter. They start grumbling again. Again, Moses doesn't answer them in a harsh tone. He goes before God. God shows him a branch of a tree. I don't know if it was a chemical uh, kind of uh, ingredient in, the, in the, the bark, in the, the wood shavings, that when it was applied to the water, it took the bitterness out. Uh, but isn't it wonderful when God can give you the answer for a need in your society just because you went and called on Him? And said, God, here's a real challenge we're facing. The scientists don't have the answers. The medical staff don't have the answer. God, what do you say? And God maybe gave him an intuition and he went over and he took a piece and tasted it and put it on the And ah, voila, we've discovered a cure for the bitter water. And there they go and they're all happy for a few days. And then they start grumbling because there's no food. And then again, you find Moses, no harsh reply goes before God. And God gives him a beautiful promise. He says, I'm going to give you fresh bread every day. You only have to go down to the bakery. It's going to be there on the shelf. Like that, we heard about that fresh bread last week here at church. Someone smelling fresh bread. It's a sign of life. And so, Who enjoys a nice warm bread roll just out of the oven? Come on now. Fresh bread every day. And then when they're complaining and saying, well, we like the idea of the fresh bread, but we also like eating meat. And back in Egypt, oh, we could eat lentils and we had olives and we had garlic and lots of pots of meat. And Moses goes before God and God says, okay, 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 I'll rain down a bra face on you every night just to keep you all Buddha happy. You'll get uh, meat rained down from heaven in the form of, 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 of quail. Like, who likes duck? They've given. Okay, who else? <laughs> nice, fresh Kentucky fried chicken out of the skies at night. And nice, warm bread loaves. I mean, these guys were just cooking. It was going so well with them. that they, Their clothes didn't get old. They were, they were the people of God. Under a blessing of God. They were a people that God had said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a blessing to all the nations. They got a little bit hooked up in, in Egypt longer than they should have been there. But anyway, God was going to disperse them into the nations so they could take that blessing of Abraham, that favor of Abraham all over the globe. Because God wanted to show His character that He's good and merciful and kind. And then we find the story changes a little bit. And they've got this furnace by night to keep them warm and an air-conditioned cloud hovering over them during the day. And chapter 19, verse 4, this beautiful word from God. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you out to myself. God, this is a relationship, God. This is intimacy. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. What covenant was he referring to? The Abrahamic covenant. Because the Mosaic covenant hadn't come into being yet. Then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. Not just like one priest here and follow that prophet. And yours, your whole nation, you're going to go and rule and reign and live as priests in the world. A holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So he goes to them. He's referring to that Abrahamic covenant. Uh, Romans 4.2 speaks about. Uh, we can just flip past that quickly. We're not going to camp there. Let's just get back into the story from 
Exodus 19 verse 8. And the people responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought the answer back to the Lord. Now, here's a subtle shift takes place here, because up until this point, and I must give credit to Joseph Prince also for helping me personally, that, that book he wrote on Destined to Reign, I tell you, it, it's written so simply that some people miss it. But I tell you what, it is so packed with, with, with this, these truths. But up until this point, you see that, that Israel had, had lived under this Mosaic Covenant they weren't perfect, they grumbled, they did silly things. Abraham, you look at some of the stuff he did. But God was presiding over them. The blood had been shed in the covenant with Abraham. He was willing to offer up his own son. God had credited it as pointing towards the cross. And so, so, so they were a covenant people and they lived under his protection, his provision, his providence. And then something changes where they, instead of being a kingdom of priests... Moses becomes their representative before God. And their attitude becomes, we'll do what you tell us to do. And a little bit of an arrogance creeps in right here of, well, I'll do, we'll do whatever God says. A little bit of a, okay, well, whatever God wants. We're just going to carry on with our little lives, and you tell us, you prepare the sermon all week, come Sunday, tell us what to do, and we'll just go out and do it. You know, we, God wants intimacy, closeness, Fresh revelation, priests, they, they wanted to have a, a man of power for the hour. And they wanted to say, we'll, we'll keep the law. Instead of clinging to Abraham's covenant. Clinging to the covenant that Abraham was justified because of his faith. The covenant God had made with Abraham was a covenant of faith. It says in, in, in Romans 4 and in Galatians 3. In fact, can we, it's not in my notes, but can we just, in your Bibles, just put this on pause, just jump forward to Galatians 3, because when you see this one, it makes it very clear. Uh, chapter 3 and verse 6. Maybe you can get it up for us. This is, this is important for us to see. Um, referring back to this, because now God had said you must keep the covenant. Brought you on angels' wings, etc., etc. Says, uh, consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand that it's those who believe, say believe, that are children of Abraham. The Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, so that those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham. The man of faith. Verse 10. All who rely on observing the law come under a curse. Now, God's covenant with Abraham didn't change. Although it was only going to be fulfilled in Christ's coming and his blood being shed. Thanks, Gareth. Although it was going to point forward to the cross, it was still a covenant of faith that they had to believe God. And if we act on that same condition of putting our faith and our belief in his character we enjoy that blessedness that comes. But they're saying now, no, no, Moses, you represent us. We want to just hear what God says to you that we'll go and do. We want to do everything you tell us. So we pick it up in Exodus chapter 20, back to our story, from verse 22. And we see, Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites this, You have seen for yourself 
that I have spoken to you from heaven. The Ten Commandments precede this verse. And the very thing he then isolates out of all the, command, the Ten Commandments is, do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourself gods of silver or gods of gold. Moses goes back up the mountain. He then has about seven chapters, the rest of the book, on sacrificial laws and ceremonial laws and do, if you do this, do that, don't do that. You know, if you go to the spur, wash your hands you know, in the men's toilet before you go to pay the bill and if you don't do that, then you have to go back and scrub the table. And It just goes on and it's like whoosh, chapter after chapter of, of what they've got to do. But out of the Ten Commandments, God just isolates one. And when Moses comes down the mountain, what are they busy doing? They've put the gold and silver in fire and they've built a golden calf to worship. The very people who said, yes Moses, you go up here from God, you come down and we'll do whatever you tell us to do. That same attitude we find in the very next chapter of their life, they already broken that commandment. And there's a very good reason for this. Purpose of the, and we see that 3,000 died. The whole tone, the whole relationship with God moved from this Abrahamic covenant of faith and God's provision into a covenant of what we can do, our works, and after that, 3,000 died that same day. They go into the desert, snakes consume. You say that God sent the snakes. I don't believe that. It's recorded in the scripture. I believe that God's protection just came off them. Because now they were depending on their own effort and their own ability. And they were lost in that religious self-righteousness that when God's favor came off them just a little bit, we just start, start seeing thousands start dying out in the wilderness. The purpose of the law, Romans 4 verse 13, is very clear. It says, It was not through law that Abraham and his offsprings received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness or the right standing that comes by faith. God can't bless those who are not in right standing with him. That would be illegitimate. How can God bless people that are in wrong standing? That would be unjust. The courts of the universe would scream out, unfair, unholy God. But God can do what he likes for those that are right standing. So God makes sure they come into right standing through faith. For those who live by law or heirs, faith has no va- sorry, for if those who live by law or heirs, then faith has no value and the promise would be worthless. Because law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there was no transgression. It goes on. Romans four verse sixteen. Therefore the promise say promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, in other words, the Jewish nation, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed. And God who gives life to the dead, you can wave your hand on that one, we who were dead in our transgressions and sin, He calls things on that are not 
as though they were. Wow! You see, Israel, living in the blessing, the favor, the covenant of God, to be a blessing to all nations, come to this point where they now, as a nation, are carrying the seed that's going to result in Christ's coming and dying on the cross and bearing the sins of the earth. But in that transition, they develop an attitude of, we can do this, we can obey. You, Moses, go and represent us, and then we're going to obey. The very next day, they're building a golden calf, which proves the very point. That it wasn't a blessing that was going to come by their fulfilling the law, but by a blessing of, that came by a promise and had to be taken by faith. Galatians, at least Romans 7 verse 8. It's going to come up. So good to see this. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire, for apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. And here's verse 13. And please underline this. This is so important to understanding the subject. Did that which is good, what's he talking about? The law. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through that which was good. So that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. The law, which was holy and good, you got sin, which is so bad, that sin can take this, which is holy and good, and use this very thing to kill you. That's how wicked sin is. That's how destructive sin is. And the only way God could get their attention again to see how awful and disgusting sin was, He had to bring the law back so that the law would work in man and take the very holy, pure commandments of God and use that thing to show how wicked and evil sin is. That was the purpose. Back to the story, Exodus 20, 24. You see, God immediately makes provision after the giving of the law, after they said, we can do it in our own strength, they go and build a golden calf. Look at this. Straight after this all, it says in verse 24, God says, make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep, your goat, your cattle, wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. Immediately after God has put this framework in place that's going to make sin even more sinful and realize it's depravity, God says make an altar where the blood would be shed, where the pointing towards the gospel announced to Abraham in advance a covenant of faith. Moses, I know you know me. I know you desire to see me face to face. But Moses... You need to build an altar. And a whole sacrificial system is put in place because of the compassion of God. Because He didn't want to see His people written off and lost and consumed and destroyed. He, a covenantal procedure was placed to point towards the cross. 
Another a cameo shot of this is in chapter Exodus 24 and verse 3. It says, when Moses went, sorry, I'll let you get it. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stones representing 12 tribes of Israel. You see, my friend, the gospel announced to Abraham was God's way of showing you and me that there's nothing we could have done to be saved. There was no good works that we could ever do. There was no way that even our most righteous acts could impress Him. All we have to depend on is to put our faith in what He's already done for us. And we see that back to Hebrews 10. Well, Hebrews 8 said, we have better promises. And in Hebrews 10, in verse 1, it makes it clear with this one verse. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. You drive past Nando's on the way home and there's a shadow cast as the sun is setting behind it. You don't get all excited about the shadow of Nando's and say to your kids, hey, let's stop here. Oh, can you feel it? Maybe it'll satisfy us. Now that's ridiculous because it's just a shadow. All that was a shadow. And the reality and the application of the better promise for you and me means that our boast is totally and completely settled in what Christ did on the cross. Our only confidence in everything pertaining to, to our salvation is found in what Jesus did. I, I picked up one of those old hymns the other day. I was reading an article and, and uh, haven't sung this since I was a, a very young Christian. It said, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come out to thee for dress, Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the mountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. They understood grace, my friends. They understood the finished work of the cross. They understood the better covenant based on better promises. Where we completely rid ourselves of anything we think could add or in any way improve my right standing before God. And maybe you're sitting thinking, yes, but haven't you said this? Isn't this clear? What are the implications for me? Well, you see everything. Because this right standing we have before God isn't just the ability to make good choices. I don't come to church on Sunday and say, you know, I would really like to become a better person. Could you please help me through your preaching and through the home cells of this church, help me please become a better person? That's not the purpose of the gospel. The purpose of the gospel is to point at the cross and say your only boast in His righteousness. Your only boast is in His obedience. Now, of course, when that gets into you, you realize you've been given a new nature. You realize you're a new standing with God. Our lives should change X by accident. But if we've never had a revelation of the finished work of cross, could it be that we're going to struggle and struggle 
and struggle and feel guilty because we fail and be like Paul. The things I want to do, I can't do. When I want to do this, I do that. Could it be that faith only comes when we've heard the message of the gospel? My friend, even faith is a gift from God. Your faith to be born again wasn't your faith says in Ephesians, that this came by grace through faith, and that's not of yourself. Even our faith to believe in Christ was a gift that was given to us. When was that gift given to us? Was it something you had before when you were born? No, my friend. It was a divine deposit the moment you put your faith in Christ. The moment you got a revelation of what He did for you, and that became more real than what your name is, more real that you, than, than the sharks won yesterday, more real than the fact that... I don't distract you, but more real than all that stuff. Faith came into your heart. And you realized, it's what He did. Nothing in my hands I bring. Only to the cross I cling. That right standing is the gift of righteousness and the abundance of grace that declares that you and I should be reigning in this life. You should be reigning in your business. You should be, because you in that company, that company should be blessed. That company should be prospering. And we know, we go through hard times and difficulties. But in that situation, we know the same faith that saved us and put us in right standing with God is the same faith that ensures that I can be a blessing to all nations. Because it's a covenant of Abraham. It's not what I do or do not do. I tell you what, sometimes at our worst times in our Christian life, God's blessing has still been on us. Don't tell me that God will curse you when you, you backslide. You might bump your head against the wall you ran into, but that wasn't God cursing you. It was your own stupidness. You didn't even need God to curse you. You just ran into the wall yourself. You have been put in a right standing for every single blessing of God for your life. I think this is what the, the faith teachers or the prosperity, whatever that movement was called, started understanding. And maybe some people took the message and ran off at angles. That always happens with whenever there's a teaching, you'll get a few fringe lunatics in the whole thing. But when you understand the absolute gold-plated, pure gospel, you understand that your right standing has got nothing to do with what you've done or can do. It's because you've put your faith in Christ's finished work. And that alone qualifies you to reign as a father over your children, as a mother in your home, as a, pair, as a businessman in your business. And when you're going through hardships, just remember, jo- Joseph was under the Abrahamic covenant. And he ended up in a pit. And he ended up in a prison. He ended up in a dungeon. But let me tell you, my friend, Joseph wasn't any less blessed, or any less of a blessing, or any less prosperous when he was in a prison than when he ruled in a palace. Because when he was in that prison, he knew God has called me to reign. You look back in your life, I'm telling you, there have been times I think, how did God do that? It had to be God. When he told him, told you to take a bit of wood and throw it into the bitter water. He said, this is crazy what I'm doing. Turn the other cheek. Oh, Lord, that can't be you. Get behind me, Satan. Move in the opposite spirit. Forgive that person. Never. Spirit of God, forgive that person. Never. Forgive. Okay, I will. Wood into the bitter water. By faith. An obedience that comes by faith. I, I, I just know. I mean, get a phone call the other day. From Joburg. We've got, we got three cars. One standing in the garage. Don't you want to come fetch the other one? 
Just take over the installments. It's just over a year. Diesel. 320. BMW. It's a pastor's car. I drove up to Joburg and I flew back the next day in my new car. Oh, not new, but you know what I mean. Wow, God, this is too good to be true. Got home less than half a tank. They can put the petrol price up as much as... No, they can't. I look, I look at a home. I, I must be quite an irritation when people come and visit because everything's got a story. I was like it with when I had my first little flat. Because I'd, I'd be going in town looking for, I needed a table. And I'd go into a shop and this guy would go chatting, chatting. He said, oh, you need a table? He said, that's old and you can just have it. Ah! Oh! So everyone who came over for supper, I had to go show them my table. You see this table? And I'd go through the whole story again. Sabrina used to go, yeah, we go again. Another story. Now Janet's going, oh, yeah. Everything in my home's got a story. I just know God has blessed us. When we were living in a flat, we were the most blessed people in the world. And now we're living in a nice big house, we're still the blessed people in the world. I'm not more blessed than I was, or differently, I'm just blessed. I can't help it. Wherever I go, I'm seeing God's favor and blessing. And it's in spite of what's happening around us. And it's even sometimes at the worst times. Mark, you laugh smiling because you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes in our worst times that we're going through, that's when God suddenly shows up and shows Himself. You know why? Because that's normal Christian living. That's how we're supposed to be living, reigning in life. But we cannot reign in life when we do not have the position of righteousness and the abundance of grace firmly established in our lives. When we're still living with this mixture of what would I do and blessing and cursing and all this other garbage stuff, when I'm not detoxed from that, I think I've got something to do with it, quite frankly. Now this call, well actually, you know, hey, the harder you work, the luckier you get. You know, because everything God has told me, I've, you know, I'm not perfect, you know, but hey, I do most of what He's told me. And, you know, I'm not a bad person. I go to church and, and they're teaching, doing a success course at the moment. And I've applied most of the principles. No! Your boasting is what God has done. It's faith in the finished work of the cross. And that positions you in righteousness with an abundance of grace to reign in every area of your life. We should be the most successful people in the business, successful people in the marketplace, successful people with our children. And when we're going through the pit or the dungeon or the jail, we should say, I'm still blessed because God didn't change. Circumstances might have changed. God hasn't changed. I finally got this faith teaching, sweetie. It's taken 25 years. Hey, we married this week 25 years, by the way. Isn't she beautiful? Wife of my youth. Taken me 25 years to maybe understand something. Because I was one of these, hey, none of this faith stuff, faith in faith. Oh, I'm going to go to the faith stuff. I'm a good old Pentecostal. I believe the, you know, nothing. The word God said, but I believe that said. But I didn't really. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. When you hear the gospel and revelation comes to your heart, you are positioned for salvation and to reign in every area, every pursuit, every project, every thing you put your hand to. And if you are like Joseph, between the promise and the palace, going through a pit, you can still lift your head up and say, this is not a curse. This is not disfavor. This is not judgment. This is not because of some sin in my life. And with this we'll close. Always good to start a song in the same key that you end it. Good lesson to the budding preachers. Hebrews chapter 8. 
said, this ministry that Jesus received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he's a mediator. is superior to the old one and is founded on better promises. And then he outlines what it is from verse 8 and says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Can I have this verse up, uh, Gareth? See, a lot of people are getting used to the verses there and then they don't look in their Bibles. Can we, can we start that again? The time is coming. It's uh, Hebrews 8. We read that verse just now about the better promises. And now we come on, okay? Verse 9. It will not be like the covenant that I made with the house of Israel. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time. These are the better promises established on the finished work. Abraham's covenant. I will put my laws in their minds. I'll write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will a man have to teach his neighbor or man saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. Priesthood, royal priesthood, all of us. A royal priesthood. They will all know me from the least got saved last week to the greatest. Zip Nolan. Verse 12, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete and what is obsolete is aging and will soon disappear. We have a better covenant based on these promises. When we understand that and we believe it, not here, but when we believe it, there's no reason why I believe God wouldn't want to bless this church. We're going into some challenging times, exciting times, a little nervy, but in it all, I know God is passionate about the gospel. I read the apostles, they were passionate about the gospel. And I'm saying, God, there's no reason why you won't bless the congregations around the city that preach an uncompromising return to the full gospel of Jesus Christ. No reason why this church won't be the benefactor and explode in every area of souls being saved. New people coming through that have maybe been sitting idle because other people are doing it and they sit back. But I'm telling you what, this is your day that you're going to be stepping forth. And then again, a wave of leaders released into the city. I've got no doubt that we're going to reign in what God has called us to do. Can we stand up together? Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to the end of this meeting this morning around worship and around the Word, before we have a time of fellowship now, we want to ask, would you come and seal this revelation of the finished work that you promised in the Old Testament and you fulfilled in Christ? I pray if there's anyone standing here who does not know that they know that they know that what Jesus did for them was complete and enough. 
And I want to pray over this word that's been preached. And if you've got anything in your heart, any doubts or concerns, or like Nishenka said, just some people have said some things and, and it's made me cautious. And when you go to the Word for yourself, I promise you, your eyes will be open to see things in His Word like you've never seen before. And I want to pray for you. Just in your heart, I want to pray a short prayer for you. To say, Father God, teach me your ways. Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. And I pray over every person here, Lord, a removal of any doubt or confusion as to your good purposes that you have for us in Christ. And if you're visiting here this morning and you've never ever come to that place of realizing how wicked sin is and how destructive sin is and how unable you are to ever even think of of, of, of presenting yourself without sin before God on judgment day. Something in you desperately crying out saying, I need to know this Jesus in this way. Can I lead you now in a prayer? Just where you're standing. Say, in your heart, say, Father God, I believe in the death of Jesus Christ for me. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ for me I put my faith in his righteousness and in his obeying you a hundred percent would you cause my heart to explode with faith right now that I may be born again by putting my faith in what Jesus did for me And if you prayed that and you meant it with all your heart, I want you just to, where you're standing, look up at me. Make eye contact because I want to just pray over people right now. Where you're standing, I just want to look in your general direction and I want to come into agreement with you. So if you said that this morning, I want you to look up other believers around you, other people are praying this or they've prayed it at some stage in their life and they're praying for you. As you look up at me, I'm going to just look in your direction and I want to just pray for you where you're standing. Is anybody here? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody over here? Thank you, ma'am, thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? On this side of the church? Just as high enough so I can see, thank you. Anybody on this side of the church? Thank you, sir. Anybody over here? Thank you, sir. Anybody over here? Thank you, sir. Anybody in the section? Lord, we just rejoice right now with these people that faith has been deposited. Faith is coming by the Spirit of God for them to turn their faith to you. And we rejoice in that. These folk clapped because they had put their faith in Christ and this brings them great joy. Those folk who indicated, I want to ask before you leave, just come and meet. We're going to, ask, we're going to release the service and then I want to ask those folk, we'd just like to pray for you face to face. So, so come up to the front and some of the elders will just help me up here. Pray for you. And for everybody else, have a great day. Remember, Curry Blake's here tonight. And have a...